You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Before we start the show today, just a quick word from our sponsor. If you love fantasy football, with DraftKings you can play the game and win cash. Sign up for free and win up to £150 this weekend. Just go to draftkings.co.uk forward slash Fulham right now. That's draftkings.co.uk forward slash Fulham and you could win up to £150 just playing fantasy football for free. Right, cue the music please. Welcome to Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is the weekly show that goes in studs up on everything to do with Fulham FC. On this week's show, we'll be discussing Saturday's game down at Brighton as a second half showing that was a load of old cock and bulldog condemned us to a fifth defeat of the season. We'll also be discussing Fulham's youth system and exclusively, we'll reveal the results of our forgotten Fulham poll. Now, Slavisa may have tinkered with his team on Saturday, but here on Fulhamish, we've got a far more consistent starting lineup. I'm joined as ever by Farrell Monk. Hello. Ben Jarman. Good evening. And Jack Collins. Hey, Dan. So it was an interesting game down at Brighton on Saturday. Uh, mixed emotions, really. A great performance in patches. Uh, surely not many teams will go to Brighton and play them off the pitch like we did in the first half. We still came away uh, with zero points. I'll go back to that initial point that I just made. Jack, not many teams are going to go down to Brighton and play quite as well as we did uh, in that first half. No, they're not. And we were exceptional at periods in that first half. We kept possession so well. And I thought that in, in patches, we looked dynamite. And even though... You know, the only the problem with that is that we look like we're able to tear teams apart without being able to, you know, put the nails in the coffin as such. And even if we were brilliant at times, it was a scrappy goal that put us in front and we should have been, you know, far away out of sight. And I think we said a few weeks back that teams are going to start to punish us if we don't put our chances away. And the same there that we did against Brentford. And, you know, it's come to a point where that's happened from a bigger and better side than us. You know, at the end of the day, even though we were brilliant first half and we were far and away the better, better side. Arguably, Ben, do you think that Fulham took one of the hardest chances of the game when you look at the ones we missed? Yeah. Uh, K-Max header was actually probably the most difficult. I mean, it defied physics, actually. Yeah, to get that the, that much power on the ball from uh, quite an awkward starting position was... He was, was behind the behold. goal line. Yeah, yeah it was like a, a really good finish, but I think he got a bit lucky because obviously Stockdale fell over... And had he not, probably would have saved it. But I think I agree with Jack that we kept possession brilliantly. But we just lacked a little bit of incisiveness that we had, um, especially in against Brentford and then definitely against Huddersfield. We sort of lacked that. And if, if we're going to contend at the top, then we need to bring that back into our performances week in, week out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if we started this podcast at the um, at the same stage last season, we'd probably be saying exactly the same thing that we were quite well in possession and we did create quite a few chances, um, but we just didn't put them away and then we're just caught on the counter-attack quite a lot. Um, this uh, last Saturday seemed to be same old, same old. Um, but it's good that we were, you know, breaking down a very, very good Brighton team who have, you know, a bit of a surprise package this season. 
Um, so that's quite encouraging. Um, but we need, we do definitely need to punish teams when we are on the ascendancy, and therefore we can um, get those two or three goals up, be comfortable, and then settle into a system where other teams are hard to break us down rather than the other way around. Interestingly, I thought the way that Brighton approached the game actually allowed Fulham to play their style mm. much more. We discussed a lot uh, last week against sorry, on the podcast, after we'd played Sheffield Wednesday, they didn't allow us to play our short passing Sheffield Wednesday. They made us go long every time, and that's why we struggled. Mm. I noticed that Fulham didn't have that problem against Brighton. They much more sat back off us and allowed us to play our short game, which really allowed us to carve them open so much. Yeah, I think instead of um, allowing us to, to go long like Sheffield Wednesday did, like you said, Brighton sat back and therefore it allowed us to play a nice combination stuff in and around the box. But getting in behind them, like we tried to with Aluko... Leite out wide, it's re- it was then really difficult for them to get to the byline and put in crosses or to cut in and shoot. And we only we only saw that on maybe two or three occasions, uh, maybe one where uh, Aite and Aluko um, sort of had a really good combination on the edge of the box and it led to Aluko um, shooting dangerously. But other than that, I don't think we really got in behind them like we normally do against other teams, which obviously Brighton's compactness stops us doing that that exact one we that chance I believe we they gave it us off, an offside yeah. and it was when and it you know looking back on the replay it wasn't it was a very 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 good run from Aluko and it was one of those moments where you know it looked at that point with Aite and Aluko combining and switching that we were really really starting to cause them problems they didn't like us running at them but it seemed to sort of halt towards the end of the first half and then you know into the second that we didn't have that kind of dynamism between the two of them and it sort of almost it looked like it almost put Aluko off that you know the fact that he was yeah. caught offside with that move and it was actually actually he wasn't for one and two it was probably the best you know the best bit of just you know interchange that we did all game yeah surely you've got to ask yourself how much Aluko would be worth if one he could finish and two <laughs> if he managed to keep himself in check when he was through on goal I listened to a podcast um, on the way into work this morning um, talked about having an emotionless striker, i.e. like a striker that when he's through on goal doesn't overthink, doesn't get very um like excited or sees himself in the headlines. Berbatov. And, and, yeah, like an Ibrahimovic yeah. or a Berbatov and someone like that, someone who's ice cold and just puts the ball in the back of the net rather than someone like Aluko who you could give nine hundred chances to and he'll spur them all apart from one. Like I think we need that sort of like incisive striker that's just going to put the ball in the back of the net and not think about it. Well, we mentioned after the Brentford game how even though we played very well during that game, it was a great performance, a great night, uh, we were 1-0 up. We missed a host of chances throughout the game, both in the first and second half. And I know we went on to win 2-0, but that was right at the end of the game when Brentford were chasing it. And we said a better team than Brentford would have equalised. It would have been an undeserved equaliser. And... Had Brentford maybe equalised, they could have gone on and won at that game. Yeah, they I would think have the momentum. Yeah, it, I think it showed on Saturday that you can play as well as that, but you've got to take your chances, and that's surely the key reason why we didn't win. We say it quite a lot when we look uh, when we're in the Premier League and in the Championship that you do have those teams that are at the top of the table because when they play well they win, when they don't play well they win because they have that one chance and they put it away. Could you imagine? I can't really see Fulham at the moment if we don't play well, grinding out one or two chances and actually putting them away. I, I hope you agree with that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I do. I think, like Martin again, has gone a little bit quiet. I think we need mm. to get him firing again. 
Um, it would just be nicer to see that those lines getting a little bit closer. I think we talked about that against Sheffield Wednesday last last week. Yeah. The lines were quite a distance apart. And although they got closer this time around, allowing us for a little bit more of an interchange, Martin at times does look a little bit isolated. I thought he was really good first half. Yeah, um, me. Re- I agree rewatching it, and you know, and there was a lot of. They, I saw he came in for a lot of stick after the game, and which I thought was you know slightly unjustified. You know, I know we're all Martin fans, so it's all a bit you know here and there. But I thought that he brought, he held the ball up well when he was given it, and you know there was there was moments where he really was class, and you know the the turn that set um, Aite away where Stockdale made that unbelievable save off the deflection mm. he took two players out of the game by holding them up coming through the middle and releasing Kearney and it was one of those ones where you're like top class yeah. and you yeah. see that occasionally with him and you know obviously he's not being as consistent as we want him to be but he is still holding up the ball well and bringing people into play and I think every time he loses a header people start to lose their head with him yeah. because he's not going to win every header because he's not you know Matt Smith but he does hold the ball up and bring other people into play in a way that I don't think anyone else does or can offer us at that point and there's a lot of people being like oh we need a speedy striker maybe but i don't think as a replacement i think maybe if anything as an addition yeah i noticed in the first half there was a piece of skill from chris martin that got me literally purring i I don't wasn't a particularly memorable moment of the game but um i think the ball went back to button he had to do a very rushed clearance so it went spooning into the air and it was coming down towards martin at a rate of knots and he had one player he could find, and it was Tom Kearney. Tom Kearney was surrounded by four different Brighton players, and off his shoulder, he found Tom Kearney's chest. It was a really lovely moment, and he was just like, wow, that is so many strikers that would have come off one random limb and gone to a Brighton player. He had no one around him apart from, he had, it was pinpoint accuracy to Tom Kearney, and that's what the quality of Chris Martin gives you, and I think... Moments like that go underrated yeah, sometimes by I, fans watching. I think the, what, one of his main attributes is that although he's definitely not the quickest striker in the world, his movement is is really really good. Um, for, he just needs to know where he just needs he knows where he needs to be. Um, so like, he just pulls those central defenders this way and that way, and that gives the room for players like even like Malone and Fredericks to to mm. pop off. Like that chance with Malone where um, was a great save by. Stockdale, but we don't need that really quick striker. We've got loads of quick players yeah. around him, and with his strength and his a bit and his movement, don't need a quick striker at all. He doesn't have to run those channels. He just has to operate that ten yards in and around the box area. Which I mean, I can get around there, and I'm not the quick. <laughs> Realistically, if you're going to play a quick striker, you're going to play him in Luco's role, sort of behind mm. and running off as, mm. as those things. So I don't think it's one of those. You know, Luco's quick. He's you know yeah. he might not be able to finish, but he's quick. Yeah, and. Um, it's yeah. a very easy thing for fans to say, we're not scoring, we need a new striker. Yeah. It, and I'm sure Chris Martin and any any striker that goes for a bit of a dry patch, even if it is just two or three games, instantly feels that burden of pressure. I think that's why so many strikers get so relieved. You can see it in their faces when they do score. And it's, it's not ecstasy of scoring. Half the time it's just relief of breaking the mm. duck because the pressure's off sometimes for like another 90 minutes at least. You go back to... Um... This 2008-9 season where we had Zamora and Johnson up front and, I mean, they weren't firing on all the cylinders, but they brought so, they both of them brought so much to the team that you, you wouldn't dare drop them if they didn't score for four or five games. Them two together were un, unreal at times. Um, you know, I think the top goal scorer that season was Andy Johnson with seven in the league, but we finished our highest position ever. Seventh. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you wouldn't, like their movement and um, their play and interchange with all the rest of the team, they were undroppable. And just yeah. because they only scored seven goals, who gives? There's much more to a striker than just goals. Mm. It is, like you say, link-up play, the movement. We've already touched on Martin's movement, his link-up play. So what if he scores 10 goals a season? As long as we get our main aim, which is obviously playoffs or to be promoted, then really who cares? And as an 11-a-side player playing up front, that's why I always say <laughs> to the manager, it's, it's, it's more, I'm more than goals. I'm more than goals. <laughs> I've run the channels. Do you see my work rate? I'm yet to see that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to the second half. Uh, their goal did feel a bit inevitable uh, after we went in only one on the break. And this is a very impressive Brighton team when you look at the stats. It only conceded 10 goals. Uh, in 16 or 17 matches uh, before this. You know, that's, that's an amazing rate. They'd been 12 unbeaten. They turned over Norwich 5-0 um, down at the Amex. They look primed for promotion. They really, really do. They were impressive. Uh, it was a good goal by uh, Baldock. Not Baldrick, as I have written on my notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> autocorrect with a slightly um, apt uh, correction there. Um, not too much could have been done to prevent that goal, really, could it? Great strike. Yeah. yeah, it was a really, really good strike. It was quite well defended and nothing you could do about it. You just got to hold your hands up and go, no. fair play. However, the second goal, I feel like, could definitely uh, have been avoided. Uh, Glenn Murray's top scorer for Brighton, back in favour uh, with the Brighton fans after his very controversial move uh, to Palace. Not many, not many players leave for arch rivals and then come back mm. uh, and seems to be come back to an all right reception. Um, he's an idol down there isn't he mm. yeah amazing after he quite left them in the lurch as well to leave to Palace I mean out of all the clubs uh, when you're a Brighton player you do not leave to go to Palace uh, but I mean the main question for me why was Callas so far as out of his area and what was Scott Malone doing it was just all a bit bizarre wasn't it it was mm. a, a very strange sort of set of defending yeah. and I don't know I'd love to hear an explanation from someone but I, I, <laughs> I can't put a finger on it so I'm, I'm not going to try it I think I think it's just a mix-up. Yeah. I think that's all it can be put down to. I think that Callas did what sort of defenders do usually. They clear the ball, or whoever did actually clear the ball, then sort of got out the area, tried to not play them all on side. I don't think... I think I would lay the blame with Sigurdsson slightly because he didn't actually follow him out. Callas was actually the guy that should have been putting the pressure on um, their crosser, who I believe was Gaetan Bong, because Callas tried to clear the ball away beforehand. I looked at it quite detail and he didn't get it away as much as he should he clattered into I think it was Fredericks by this point he'd come on the pitch and then instead of actually trying to block the cross sort of stood there with his hands by his side trying not to deflect it off and you're completely right Sigerson didn't bring the back line up and Malone to be sitting there with his hand up instead of marking someone it just feels a bit of Sunday league like there were so many errors I've got four written down just <laughs> just like before the cross even goes in. So it, it, it really is terrible defending. And it was just like, it was a flashback to last season. It was shoddy at best. But on the upside, we do, other than that slight glitch, we have looked much, much better at the back all throughout this season. Yeah, agreed. So it could be, like you said, it could be just a, a massive miscommunication on their part. Clear-cut chances, I, apart from the goal and, and obviously the volley... I can't really think off the top of my head any real clear-cut chances Not at all. That, that came from mistakes. Um, Murray should have done better first half when he got slipped in by a knock-up. Yes. What a run that was, yeah. by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and a lovely ball cool. as well. Yeah. Yeah. What a ball as well. But that, you know, like those, you just hold your hands up. That's not 
bad, that's really well played from the opposition. Yeah, I think yeah. that that could be the difference between uh, like Brighton going up and us potentially not going up is that they would they have someone like Knockart who we touched upon last last week yeah. as well, who really is like that sort of grade above Championship level, and could probably cut it in the Premier League if you for a lower rung rung team. But like he in the game he was just so incisive and, and very purposeful with his runs and I think that's something we need to mimic quite amazing he players. hasn't had a chance in it the Premier League so brilliant for Leicester I remember watching Leicester in the season one that they lost in the semi-final to Watford and the season they went up and uh, one of my best friends at uni was a Leicester fan and we used to sit and watch watch Leicester most weeks and um we used to. He was like, "Oh, Vardy's going to be an unbelievable player." I was like, "No, he's not. He's, he's rubbish. Uh, you know, he's not very good." You know, he's, he's causing question goals. Like the magic in this team is Anthony Knockart by, you know, by a country mile, the best player in this side. And you know, he was as well. It wasn't that you know, it might not have been proved to be that at, at that level, but he was the best player in that side by by such a distance. And he just transforms things. He makes things happen out of nothing. He's one of those kind of players that just changes games in an instant with a little flick and a little jink down the run and suddenly you're in. And it's one of those where those moments of magic can turn such tight games. Mm. And it means it means the world to a team, you know, if you're one if it's one all with ten minutes to go against Burton Albion and you can't find a winner and suddenly knockout beats three players and slides in your striker and suddenly it's three points instead of one. That's the difference between going up and getting in the playoffs. But do you not think Tom Kearney can potentially be that man? Yeah, I do. Centrally, yes. Wide, no. <laughs> yeah. I, think we should, I think we should devote a whole podcast to the te- Tom Kearney wide and central. It'd yeah. just be 15 minutes of Ben going, central, not wide. <laughs> central, not wide. I don't know, the amount of times that, that Bong just got at Adoy and Fredericks down that left-hand side, it was just blatantly obvious that something should have been done about mm. it. It was that second half I, I noticed how many counter-attacks that Malone and... Adoy and then later Fredericks were just exposed. Mm. Um, one, we were going for the win and then obviously trying to get the equaliser. Yeah. Um, it was kind of going back to the same old from the beginning of the season when our fullbacks were really, really exposed really stretched, yeah. uh, on the wings. I mean, when the, there was one point when Malone got, um, got to the byline, put a decent cross in, didn't come to anything and it fell to, uh, I think it was Bong on the right. And he was like 40, 50 yards up. And it was only Malone who had yeah. had the chance to get back at him. And he had to, God knows where they get the energy from. Um, but it was him that was having to do that chasing back rather than one of the centre midfielders coming out. Maybe yeah. we're getting it wrong. But when we said that we started playing really well again, you know, in that Huddersfield game and in the Brentford game, we saw Kearney in the middle, correct? Yeah. Am, I, am, I, am I imagining things? <laughs> I think we did. Because yeah. Kearney seems Maybe. to have gone back out to the wing. Yeah. And I don't know if we are just imagining that when we started playing well, Kearney was in the middle. <laughs> Or that actually happened, and it's and it's changed again. It could be, and this happened in the in the Sheffield Wednesday game that um, our team was getting frustrated at the lack of opportunities, probably like like the second half at Brighton, and players do get out of position, especially the more creative ones, because they want to see the ball more. And if yeah. they're not seeing the ball more, they're going to go. Kenny will go to the wide. Aite will go wherever he wants to go. Yeah, Ite runs all over the shot. Yeah, exactly. He was excellent as well. I like him a lot. Yeah, he was yeah. very, very good and he deserved a shot. I've liked Piazon. I thought Piazon's been doing well, but I thought Ite was yeah, good value Aite for his... extra directness, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's great that we can choose in between these attacking players. Yeah, we still, have, still haven't seen uh, Cabano come in for a couple of games. Mm. He had a little cameo at the end there. Didn't do much other than get hauled down, I think, outside the area. That was it. And, uh, that was in a last act of desperation really, yeah, from Savisa, wasn't it? Yeah, and then there's no no sign of Hosebed either. No, no. Who seems to have gone back? 
He seems to be wandering out. I feel like he's wandering around New Malden. Like he can't find his way back to the training ground or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how much of a setback was Saturday in terms of the bigger picture, in terms of the league? Do you think it's a disaster or do you think that we can pick up again and just brush it off as it's a very good team who are very likely to get promoted, um, who are also happen to be on a very good run of form? Yeah, I think we can pick it up as that. I think there are a lot of positives to come out of it. We've already discussed like how easily we broke them down. Our combination play was brilliant. Um, I think it's if it's a similar situation to the Norwich game, in that we, although this um, result wasn't entirely positive, we showed that we can cut it with the better teams in the league. We showed that we can cause them a problem. We're just maybe a little tiny bit away from getting to their level. Maybe come January, a couple of good signings will be at that level. But I think it's not too much of a setback now. And no. le- we just need to pick up points in the right places. Absolutely agree. Um, we're Brighton are a team who have absolutely rolled over the like the last five teams that they've played. Norwich 5-0, Bristol City 3-0, uh, Burton 3-0, uh, Nottingham Forest 3-0. And we gave them a bloody good game. Mm. Um, you know, apart from the, the Glenn Murray goal, which was just an absolute... Shambles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you're looking at a, getting a point when not of us would have, not a lot of us would have expected. So, and a lot of Brighton fans on Twitter I saw were really complimentary about Fulham, and that isn't the first team that we've gone away to and we've received plaudits. I remember when we went up to Leeds, and so many of their fans were saying after that game that this is this is one hell of a team, and a lot of them said, you know, we were lucky to get the win. Um, and then I think quite a lot of them were going on. If we can win that, then, you know, there's good signs for them. And that is totally true. They did play very well without, uh, sorry, they got a very good result without playing very well. But yeah, it'd be good to take those plaudits forward. And when did the table really start taking significance? It's starting to fall into shape now. Yeah, We're still there or thereabouts, although I'm quite surprised at some of the teams that seem to have suddenly caught up. Derby. Leeds. Leeds yeah, are flying. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we went to Leeds and I thought Leeds were really poor. Like, really, really poor. And they were lucky to get a point against us. Reading have picked up recently as well, This they? is This is what yeah. I was about to say. I was going to say, you know, you look at that Brighton game, we've gone away to a team that are flying and at the top of the league and we've given them a good game. I think the game that coming up against Reading that we, we look at and we go, if we can win that, then we're going to be looking, we should be looking at a playoff mm. pace. And that's the kind of game that I think gives you a level. We've, you know, looked at that Brighton game and gone, yeah, okay, there were mistakes and whatever, but we were good and good value for it. And, you know, if that game comes, if you know, if you go, if you go away somewhere and, and, and lose 2-1 and you look at bringing Brighton back to the cottage and, you know, trying to get a point or three points there, then, you know, you're playing you know, here and there, tip for tat with the league leaders or, yeah. you know, the promotion candidates, sorry. And I think that that's kind of got to be a positive. So if we can turn, if we could turn over Reading now, yeah. then we definitely got to be looking at, you know, putting some pressure on those teams in the playoffs and starting to build. We well, t- look at Reading and they have won five on the bounce under Yapstan. They are flying. It's going to be a really tricky game on Sassin. We'll delve a little bit more into that. Their run of wins, uh, Rotherham, Forest, Wigan, Burton and Bristol City. Now, we haven't played Rotherham. We've played the other four teams, got three draws and a defeat out of them. It's making me quite frustrated now that we've played about half a dozen games against teams who, apart from Villa, were all in the top half of the table when we played them. And I think Villa will be a team in the top half of the table, especially now under Steve Bruce. We didn't take our points earlier in the season during September when we had a really, really simple run of games. And it's 
coming back to haunt us now we're playing stronger teams. Absolutely. It's, it's classic Fulhamish that we're um, taking on teams every week that seem to be bang on form. And when it comes to other other teams playing them, the, the ones that, as you quite like, rightly pointed, the ones that are in the bottom six or so, that's when they're on form and then they will roll them over easily. When we were playing those teams, we were still finding our feet, trying to find our, um, as Ben always points out, our identity. Um, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, now we finally got the identity. Now we're playing the Norwiches. Now we're playing the Brightons. Now we're playing the Reddings, who are really on top form at the moment. Yeah, I've actually got it written down that when we played those teams, we were trying to still gel. Yeah, um, I'm not going to use identity just out of spite. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we were we were still gelling as a team back then, and the, the likes of um, Burton, uh, especially, came came to the cottage and just sort of shut up shop. I mean. Of those five Reading wins, four of those have been against teams that are currently residing in the bottom six. So you could say that obviously there's no easy games, but there are easier games for for teams, especially teams like Reading, who are now completely adjusted to the championship and know what it's like to be in there and manage those work workloads. Um, I think we have a good chance against Reading. I really do. I think we're a, a solid competitive team in all areas of the pitch. We just you know, we just need to get another win, and we'll we'll get we'll get rolling. I think um, you know we're much better than we were back in September. That's for sure. I don't know if you agree, Jack. Yeah, definitely. I think that Reading are there for the taking. If we if we play to you know what we can do, and if we 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 demonstrate what we're what we're made of, I'd be interested to see what he does for the team now and what he changes for next week. Because I don't know if you can justify dropping anyone from that selection, but. At the same time, you've got people straining at the bit to get back in. And, you know, like we said, we haven't seen Cabano in a in a full run out yet. We haven't seen, well, in fairness, we haven't seen enough from him to maybe justify that. But, you know, when are you going to see that unless unless he gets a game and unless he gets a full 90 minutes? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are players straining at the leash to get in the side. And, you know, you've got that. Now we've got a right back dilemma in terms of <laughs> who we play at right back. Mm. And,. You know, and Scott Parker coming back into the side. Do you do you after what he you know brought to the team when he came on against Wednesday? Do you do you start Parker? Yeah. You know, and you can't. I don't think we can drop Johansson, who was excellent again. Absolutely not. I mean, they talked about him on commentary, didn't they? Yeah, they, they did. said uh, that he got substituted in the first thirty minutes of his debut, and now he's seemingly undroppable. And I think we all have to agree with that. He's been absolutely brilliant. They've been listening to us. Absolutely, yeah, they're listening. And shout out, Jim. Yeah, uh, Jim. I'll give him a text. <laughs> um, so going forward after the Reading game, it puts quite a lot of pressure on the other games we've got in December. Because if you actually look forward, uh, we have got an easier run of fixtures um, tailing down to the end of the year. We've got Rotherham, um, who are rock bottom and seem doomed. I mean, we said that though last year. And then um, Colin Warnock. Came. What's his name? Neil Warnock. Neil. You Warnock. can't call him Colin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If in doubt, call them Colin. <laughs> Neil Warnock came in and, and saved them. Uh, then Wolves, who have got Paul Lambert now, who's a manager I've always admired. Admired. He's the uh, he's the hipster. I do like choice, Paul Lambert. Isn't he? Paul Lambert. Big fan. Um, Derby are improved under Steve McLaren, but I still think a winnable game at the cottage. Uh, and then Ipswich away, who are very much a Jekyll and Hyde side, the the Championship perennials. Well, they're having an awful run of form at the moment, yeah, but yeah, you'd yeah. imagine that Mick McCarthy's going to turn that round in yeah. the next few games, which means that 
they'll almost certainly be on excellent form by the time we play them on Boxing Day. I yeah. kind of feel for Ipswich fans because it seems like they're consigned to mid-table mediocrity every single year because they get to January and they're like, we really need to, we need to strengthen. And then the chairman turns around and says, we have no money. And then they're just like, right, well... We'll just slog it out for the rest of the year, shall we? It's well, they moan. Like... They do moan about being in the championship, but would they prefer to do a Charlton or, or yeah. you know, or yeah. are we not a Southampton of old or um, well, you know, Wolves and go down to League One? I'd rather be in the championship. Yeah, to be honest, with no of... money, oh, with no money, they and they're they're quite lucky that they have McCarthy, who I think oh, yeah. is a wonderful manager. I really do, and I think that he does so well with the little he's given, and I think to a point. You know, and they said this on the on the football league show on Saturday morning. They were like, you know, to a point, Ipswich fans must have to be like, we've got, yeah. we're we're really making do with not very much. And mm-hmm. Mick McCarthy, you know, he's been. They were saying there's been a few shouts for his head after a couple of a couple of losses, and they're saying that's madness. You know, yeah. to see what he's achieved with that side. In you know, he's got a couple of club playoffs, I believe, in the last. Yep. Yeah. Um, and to see what he's done with that side on very very little yeah. cash flow is is exceptional. I think that they're very lucky to have him down there. They actually sold their lead striker this year as well to Newcastle, Daryl Murphy. Daryl Murphy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he hasn't made an appearance for Newcastle yet. Not one minute of play, <laughs> I don't believe. And they, they still got McGoldrick. That guy used to have. love scoring against us. They have, and he's consistently injured, from what I've been told. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Mick McCarthy teams always seem to deliver against Fulham. Have we beaten Ipswich since going down to the Championship? I don't think we. No, have. I do no. remember playing them opening game this season and losing one nil or two one to them. Two-one. We had Cameron Burgess playing yeah. DM. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was the game that Tim Hoogland scored. Yeah, as these scenes. No, but the game I recall against Ipswich is the one where. Freddie Sis scored after something like 28 seconds. Yeah. Oh, it was one of those yeah. days where you, we got to the cottage and we were in great spirits. I was like, we're going to do it for today. I've just got a feeling. And then 28 seconds in, I was like, I don't know why I've come. They absolutely rolled us over Yeah, last they really year. did. They, they probably, I mean, it's, it's the times we've actually come, but they were probably the most impressive team I saw last season. Ipswich. <laughs> they were. <laughs> they sized through our back four. Yeah. I think it was Ream. It was Ream and Byrne, the centre-back. Oh, God. And... Freddie Sears, Byrne went to head it, fell over. Sears got the ball, rounded room and scored. And it was one of those ones where we're like, okay, we're in for a long afternoon. Dan Byrne here, is the we? only person to get smaller when he jumps. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking on to the next game and then against Reading, I know you've said a uh, good chance. I've always thought that a kind of team that um, we tend to play fairly well against, uh, at the Cottage. Last season's game, uh, for me, probably one of the most memorable ones, apart from maybe the two Queen's Park Rangers victories. 2-0 down, after 50 minutes, Orlando Saar, uh, who we may or may not mention uh, later in the show, uh, he scored banged. that second goal. And then uh, four goals in about 10 minutes has yeah. got to be one of the most remarkable comebacks I've hmm. ever seen at the Cottage. We had absolutely nothing before we scored. Absolutely nothing that game. And then we got that first goal and all of a sudden, we're going to win this game like 10-2 or something <laughs> ridiculous. We had so many chances after that. I remember going to the Premier League game when Brian Ruiz scored that absolute belter three all. Yeah, he came on. He came yeah. on because someone went off injured. I can't remember. Someone came off injured and he came on and yeah. just absolutely ran the show. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant that day. And uh, a certain Hal Robson Carnu scored in the yeah. 90th minute after mm. we'd uh, turned it round three two. A game yeah. very reminiscent of what we saw in the Premier League. Uh, on Saturday at the Liberty Stadium, uh, five yeah, for the yeah. five four, which is just—I mean, I know this is a Fulham podcast. Why are we discussing Swansea? But I mean, I've never seen a game like it. Also, like 
can we talk about the fact that, you know, Fernando Llorente, who was one of the most feared strikers in Europe, like, a year ago, is now just playing on the bench for Swansea. Like, what's going on? Did you see his two goals? No. I thought, oh, he's going to... brilliant. Yeah, like... I, Basque, Basque legend. Yeah, I've just chucked him in the fantasy league team. For, for, you know, they're the kind of they're the kind of decisions that win you or lose you leagues. They were two of the luckiest goals you've ever seen. Oh, okay, so it was on. just like right. I think they one of them came off his knee, and the other one he wasn't even look, looking at it, and it came off him. It was literally which team could defend worse. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's move back uh, towards Fulham, and uh, there was some big news uh, away from the pitch uh, about the training ground improvements. And I'm not going to lie. I'd quite like a five game of five aside on those pitches. Absolutely. It looks really nice. Um, if anyone's listening to the club, we are available. Yeah. A- yeah. Against the fo- uh, forgotten Fulham 11. If, uh, but five of them. They can have six subs. Yeah, yeah, okay. If, co- if Cottage <laughs> Talk won a, won a five aside game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be an, an expensive uh, five aside sure. game yeah, for exactly. us. But apart from that, um, yeah, more than happy. Um, they were very keen to emphasise that it was entirely funded uh, by Shahid Khan. Um, and they're clearly intent on continuing the youth investment. And I know we briefly touched upon the youth team uh, last week, but it'd be interesting to chat about Fulham's youth system in kind of a wider context. I think one positive of relegation to the championship is suddenly we have started to um, see the fruits of the investment and certain players coming through and... Uh, Patrick Roberts leaving for big money, Musa not really leaving for big money, but, you know, leaving for a big club. And, yep. you know, we ha- do have um, some of the youth players. They're not quite in the first team at the moment. We've seen the likes of Lassa and Corley uh, all come through the system. But my question is, in the day and age where we've got all this scouting networks across the world, we've got this money ball system that can find hidden gems um, on a football pitch in the remote Andes or... Sakiri Matilla. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally playing on a snow-covered pitch in northern Lapland. <laughs> like, it seems to be this system where we can pick up bargains. Is it worth spending all this money on a youth system when you could just build up a great scouting network and just cherry-pick the players you want? Absolutely. For yeah. me, absolutely. It, it, it works. I think there is a multitude of players that are even in the greater London area and around southwest London who aren't going to be scouted by another club. And if you want to get those players into the club, or even if you want to get them to support the club in the long term, then to have a scouting network that actively encourages them to play is only a good way to go. And I think if you look at the like the wider context of world football, anyone that's in that mid-tier, um, so sort of like anywhere outside the Premier League or Serie A, or, or even like the lower ranges of those leagues, for them, winning a title is having a player they've played they've played no money for and then selling them off for huge money. And that, that for them, is obviously the aim now. Um, they've Unless they somehow drastically pull a title out of the bag like Leicester have, their only real objective would be to sell a player on for a huge amount of money. And for, for me, that absolutely makes business sense that we're involved. We're now expanding our, our, our youth scouting system and getting those facilities in place for the long term. We've, we've seen it working short-term already, and it was only a few years ago that we didn't have any youth players in the England set-up whatsoever. And now we've got Sessegnon in there, we've got guys in there at under-17 level. We've got both Sessegnon's in there, haven't we? Both Sessegnon's in there, we've got a guy that's like 15 years old that's being scouted by Man United already, 
and that wouldn't that would never be the case if we didn't have a good scouting network in place. I think with sorry the, for the long answer. No, it's fair enough. I think with the money that's in football these days, and you know, this is going to sound like a you know, oh, back in my day, but um, <laughs> how are you? you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the money involved in football these days, it's going to be one of those things that every time we sell on a player. It's going to be some money, even if that's to a League One club, and we get a hundred grand for someone. You know, that's we people forget that that's still a lot of money. And you know, while there's been money ploughed into the youth network, it's never going to be the amount that you'd get for selling on five players to decent level clubs. You know, and if you have to, impl- you know, you put in twelve million from Pat Roberts, and you you look at that, you look at that money, and you're going, well, imagine how many players we could bring through for twelve million pounds. Mm. And one of them, if one of them sells for five million pounds, we made a profit on that twelve yeah. million sale. And you know, it's it's proved to work. Pat Roberts is from like Wimbledon, like yeah. he's he, he lives in Wimbledon, and he he's now gone through and he's up at you know winning titles at Celtic. Did anyone see the picture of him and Dembele with the cup? No. no. Roberts posted a picture of him and Dembele with the cup with the caption "My guy," and it was <laughs> like, oh, okay, right, yeah, I see what you've done here, but um. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, you look at those players coming through and there's always going to be if you're producing the quality that we seem to be producing, there's always going to be a profit to be made and I know that's not necessarily the point, but it's never going to lose you money. Mm. Yeah. So do you think it's basically almost like a means to an end? So yes, not necessarily these youth players will come in and create, I don't know, a great Fulham side like mm. Um, the Lisbon lads of Celtic back in the 60s, you know, where all the whole team came from one city. But yeah. actually, it's a case of some of them may go on and do well for Fulham, some of them will leave for big money. And then you have that wider scouting network that can find bargains yeah. from the money that yeah. you've made yeah, from I mean, youth players. Is that how you guys see the strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got an article coming up on fullamish.co.uk. Yes. Very soon. Um, that sort of speaks about this and how the, the role of the modern scout is um, sort of diminishing. But then at the same time, you have to have a really good um, balanced scouting network, either that's through stats and like the football manager style scouting or whether that's down the park in the rain with your fags, like, <laughs> scouting there's there's got to be a balance there and if if Fulham want to aspire to be like anyone who are going to produce players and it should be the likes of Sporting Lisbon or FC Porto who are already doing that well um, and I think like selling players is going to be one of our key KPIs yeah. now as a club um, we're just in that mid-tier we need to make money and yeah. the, scout, the large scouting network's only going to be a benefit and the facilities we, even better we seem to be at a much um, more advanced level than most of our teams in yeah. and around us in the championship. I think a lot of the teams in the championship at our level are very envious of us. Their revenue streams are nowhere near as going to be developed as our youth system is. Mm. They won't be able to look around and go, oh, they've just sold Pat Roberts for 12 million quid. How, what was the last player we sold for 12, 12 million pounds? Never happened. Yeah. Um, it is a massive bonus to have something like that. Um, the, but Jack, you quite rightly pointed out, it comes... To, it also comes down from those little players that you know played that one or two times for Fulham and then get sold on for a hundred grand. Yeah. That probably is the youth player budget for the whole season. Yeah. And I think if we look at forgotten Fulham, it's a good way of being like how how well we've come on. Yeah. Like some of those guys haven't even made a first team appearance, but then some we haven't even chatted about just yet is uh, Emerson Hyndman, yeah, who's gone to Bournemouth, and we will make some money off him. 
think we made, we made 2.5 mm-hmm. million, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. that's another bit of profit as well. Yeah. He is going to be a yeah. brilliant footballer. But there's nothing we baller. absolutely nothing we can do about no, it. No, no, not at all. I'm not I'm not upset, but I am yeah. and also I'm glad for him that he moved to somewhere like Bournemouth where he, he will, will get, time. get game time and he's under a brilliant manager in Eddie Howe and you know, he also seemed like a genuine kind of bloke. That yeah. was the other thing about Hyman. He always had time to to tweet fans and, you know, to reply to fans. My brother kept chatting to him on Instagram. It was all a bit weird. But, um, <laughs> like, you know, it's one of those where he always seemed to be genuinely interested. He loved the club, like, but it was time for him to... He wasn't getting games at Fulham, really, to be honest. Yeah, and yeah. you look at him and Roberts and like that, and people are like, oh, why did Roberts go? If I was Roberts and someone said, I'll give you £12 million, £12 million to sit on the bench for City or sit at the bench at Fulham. Like... Yeah. You know, he wasn't getting game time. And that's absolutely fine because he was he's he is going to be an exceptional player, but we just couldn't play him at the time mm. because we were kind of in a relegation scrap. We did we needed someone that was good now, not that wasn't gonna be brilliant in five years' time. Yeah. So and this you know, with this whole youth system thing, it's not just making money. If we can get the player who is going to play really well for us for at least one season, i.e. Dembele, um, or any other player then it is worth it because otherwise you're going to spend four million pounds or so on getting someone elsewhere. We need However, to sure. I the only I agree with the points that you're making from a business sense, but from a romantic sense of supporting a football club more than I support a business. Like obviously I don't want Fulham to go bust, but I don't support Fulham thinking, oh, four million quid profit. Well done. <laughs> I do. Net profit as well. <laughs> I mean, Frau is the accountant here, so he loves that. But Something for me is like, well, I I can't be bothered to. I want I want players to do well and play for Fulham. I don't want them to play a dozen games like Emerson Hyman did. We see a flash of him. Oh, great! We've got this great youngster come through. Oh, he's gone. So, I guess there's that element to it that the fans must be going. Well, what's the point? We make these youth players and we just we just sell them straight well, away. Isn't the revenue then used in the playing budget? Yeah. Yeah, but then we could. I don't know. It's kind of like a finger in the air, but it's like surely if we make that that commitment now, then long term we will start to see these academy players come through and have a really big um, influence on the team going forward. And I think we can sort of see that coming now with like Adrenian, who's played very well, especially against really Barra, good. and you could and Adan, he he done very well. Mm. Um, uh, and I thought that that was a good performance. And I think there are a few more players that we're going to go and see coming through from those youth ranks that are doing really well. There was this for a long stra- period of time. This youth strategy started like seven, eight years ago. Yeah, and we're already seeing the fruits of it. Yeah, so and what's, what's we won the world, we won the world youth cup, Oops. world champions for God's yeah. sake, two years ago. Also, if we, you know, if we're looking at at the moment, we're playing these these players and we're selling them, you know, like to Pat Robertson and Co. And that money is being reinvested in the club, and it pushes us forward as a club. And I think we're improving. I really do. And. If we then get back to Premier League level and we're a mid-table Premiership club again, those players aren't going to start leaving for the likes of Bournemouth or or Southampton if they're getting a game because why would you leave for another mid-table Premiership club as such? Mm, yeah. So if we can see the fruits of those progress the club further, I think then later on players will stay and will be part of longer runs and, 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 yeah. and units. Yeah, and I think that's important. That, sorry, just one last point. This um, like investment now allows us to keep our grade A or grade one. Grade um, it, oh, yeah. it allows us to, to play in the uh, EFL 2, I think, which is like the premier class for under 21 level, which is only going to make them better as well. Mm. If you lose that status, effectively your reserve team, your under 21 team is playing 
Sunday League football again. Yeah. And also, yeah. I guess, there you go. for someone like Shahid, who must be frustrated because he's a multi-multi-billionaire, um, his massive yacht dwarfs HMS Belfast in the Thames, <laughs> um, and yet he cannot invest in his football club, which I'm sure he wants to do, and I know a lot of people... Yeah. Uh, doubt his intentions and who really knows what his true intentions are but there's no doubt surely he'd if he could he'd write some blank checks and buy the best players in the league but he can't but this is um kind of almost a loophole a long-term loophole and there's a reason for it yeah for him to be able to invest money in the club because this is not counted under ffp if you invest money in facilities yeah. and youth training and stuff so it, it does seem to be that um that is exactly the point right there that Shahid Khan does want to invest in this club and it is a it is a good thing that the club have come out and said look our chairman does care he does want to invest in this club i think also that um i mean i was watching that interview with uh Alistair McIntosh when he was opening uh, doing the official opening with Richard Scudamore. How poor did he look, by the way? Richard Scudamore. Yeah, definitely. This is a full sleep. He didn't say anything the whole time. No. He was like, come He's on, let's like, get yeah. on with it. Thanks. <laughs> just opened the thing. Um, but it was good that also it's not just about the football club, it's also about the wider community as well. And and they they talked about areas of the, of London that you know you wouldn't think that Fulham had any reach in, but they were talking about Lambeth and... Um, uh, well, towards Hammersmith and down towards... I didn't think they mentioned it there, but, you know, they're very well embedded in Surrey already. Um, that is, it's not just about the first team, it's also about all the women's football development, which is become, starting to become a really big thing. They had the Badgers there opening it as well, which was great to see as well. So it's not just about the first team. It's Did about the uh, blind or deaf team win a championship the other day as well and they were voted um, Team of the Year in one of the awards. Oh, really? The league awards, yeah, I believe so. I think if you are looking at the club and you're saying that Shah Khan doesn't invest enough and isn't invested, you're living in a fantasy world. Like, yeah, I really, really do yeah. think that with everyone that comes out and goes, oh, you know, Khan, I don't know what more people expect him to do within the constraints that we're in. And I can't see how, like, that's a mindset. I, just, I, don't, yeah. I don't get it. It's one of those ones I can't comprehend. And also, and also, like, an owner shouldn't have to invest money he just needs to ensure that the business is making money. He shouldn't have to invest any money because otherwise what's the point of actually owning it in the first place if you're just investing money because then you're not actually making anything. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I think for Shahid, he inherited a club, well, he bought a club, um, at a difficult transition point. He made mistakes and I'm sure he would admit that he made mistakes, maybe not publicly, but they did. I mean, Felix Magat, all those changes, bringing in Kerbishly and Wilkins and trusting people left, right and centre, mistakes were made. And I think he's still, unfortunately, paying for that from the fans. And I think that horrible season or two is still very fresh in the mind of Fulham fans. And despite the investment, and I imagine that is why the club went out on such a limb to emphasise that he... Funded all of this. Shard, like any businessman, is is very, very good at self-promotion. And if that, that to to me, is just a, a message to all of our fan base, even the guys that doubted him from the start, just to say, look, I am here for the long term. Yeah, I want an NFL franchise over here, but you're my number one priority, and I'm here to future-proof you for the long term. Um, I agree with you, Sammy. Like picking this up at the point that he did is just a disaster waiting to happen. Um, like, Al-Fayed wasn't 
funding us and hadn't been for a few years before that. So Club in decline. Yeah, anyone picking up that club, we probably would have gone through relegation regardless because we hadn't had a pure investment in the club for for some years. The playing squad on the pitch was terrible. Um, not even probably Sheikh Mansour of Man City could have saved us then. Even if he had bought Robinho for thirty-two mil, like we we still would have gone down to the championship. The, uh, the I equi- about that transfer. <laughs> the equivalent one that I think of is Tony Fernandez at QPR because he took them over and bankrolled them, trying to save them, and it was just went terribly. But I I definitely know out of those out of Tony Fernandez and Shahid Khan, I would choose. I definitely have Khan every, every day of the week. Yeah, I don't want Tony Fernandez calling up talk. Uh, I don't want Shahid, Shahid Khan calling up Talk Sport every week and talking through transfers and talking through very, you know, sensitive issues about the club. I was once listening to Five Live and Tony Fernandez was calling up and telling them how much Chris Samba earns a week, which is, could you imagine if your boss went on, <laughs> just decided to reveal how much you earn a week? It's crazy. Yeah, especially if you'd had a bad game. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think the most cringeworthy thing uh, related to QPR in the last couple of weeks has got to be hashtag Ollie's back. Oh, it- oh. Walking down the tunnel and kissing his hand and putting it on the sign. Do me a favour. This isn't Anfield, mate. It's a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> Get a grip. And their mannequin that... challenge was shit as well. I mean, the what? Their mannequin challenge was cringeworthy. Oh, as did well. they do one? Oh, of yeah. course they did. It's oh. Queen's Park Rangers. I'm going to record that segment of what Ben just said and make it my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on, uh, we've got to quickly end by revealing the results of Forgotten Fulham. Now, Forgotten Fulham is something that we've been doing for weeks. Uh, it's been a really good feature on the show. I've loved doing it, and I know loads of you uh, have enjoyed listening and taking part on Twitter. And we revealed our team in the past week's But I thought a little bit unfair that we were getting in your suggestions. We made this big team and it didn't feel very inclusive. It felt very much like we're making a team and you're going to listen. So this week, we opened it up on our website, fullamish.co.uk. Go give it a, um, I was going to say, a listen now. A look. Don't go go listening to the website (laughs) because not much is going to come out of it. Um, We got you to vote. Uh, We gave you a huge shortlist of different Forgotten Fulham players that we'd mentioned on this show and also had been tweeted and we hadn't even had time to address them. And now, here it is, the official Forgotten Fulham team. So we've each got a part of the pitch to announce and this is it and we'll um, put the whole team in at 11 and we'll put it on the website after this episode. So, uh, chaps, if you don't mind me starting from the back, it makes total sense. In goal, number one. I don't think he was number one. It's Pascal Zubabula has made made the entrance into the team. And on the bench, Kasaba Samogye. That was like like what happens at the uh, football games is uh, the person on the pitch gets the big cheer and then the sub just gets the... (laughs) Yeah, the really keen people. So Pascal Zubabula, uh, who I think made one or two appearances, the Swiss man is a deputy in goal. Good. Um, Jack Collins, on to the defence, please. The back four uh, consists of Halish, Halish, Halish is on fire. <laughs> Rafik Halish, eh? Nice. Um, Nicky Shorey, great shout. Hey. The bone crusher himself, hey. Tony Chalier. Hey. We all love him. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. <laughs> and Martin Jetu. Oh, Ooh, Jetu. great shout. Yeah. Um, with... Scored one goal against Leeds. I yes. That was the season they went down, I believe. Yeah. Uh, at Loftus Road. Uh, and on the bench, Jack? Everyone's third favourite Canadian Fulham player, <laughs> Paul Stalteri. Paul Stalteri. <laughs> and uh, the, the, one, of our, one of our many prison signings, Elliot Omazuzi. 
Fulham Prison FC. Yeah. <laughs> ben, the midfield, please. In your best Ivan Berry or David Hamilton voice, please. Okay, first selection is the captain of the Czech Republic's best under-21 side ever, <laughs> Marcel Getzov. Hey. Uh, the second selection is a former Ajax player, uh, amazing pedigree, played half a season for us, Eong Eno. Hey. I actually forgot Good that. Good pronunciation. Then. Thank you. Uh, the last player is a former Norwegian international who plays for us during the Europa League run, Bjorn Helga Risa. Hey. Yeah, he was shocking, wasn't he? <laughs> um, and the last, uh, the subs for us today are um, a guy who spent seven days at Trabzon Sport after playing for Fulham, uh, Hammer Buatza. And then still got uh, a dodgy shoulder. This set everyone's uh, <laughs> everyone's uh, second favourite Russian at Chelsea, uh, Alexei Smertin. Hey. He was in our team, wasn't he, Alexei Smertin? He was. I don't yes. know if you've noticed, but not many of these players uh, <laughs> were in our lineup. We've got a few sub crossovers. Yeah, yeah. This is a lot. This um, complete lineup is a lot more fresh-faced and recent than ours was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're going for a four-three-three, which means that Farrell has the last three names in the starting lineup, and then two on the bench. Up front, please, Farrell. Uh, one of the Scandinavian uh, recruits, David Elm. Hey. <laughs> Everyone's favourite American striker, not the winger Clint Dempsey, Eddie Johnson. Hey. And he was from Portugal and cost fuck all. Orlando Sar. <laughs> <laughs> So they are. Good. That finishes off our starting eleven. Subs, Just quickly subs, round off subs, the benches, subs, please. Subs. Uh, I was getting there. I was getting there. <laughs> right. Any shouts to Pavel Pogrebniak? I don't think no, he scored way too important a goal yeah. at Loftus Road. Once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have uh, Roma's favourite son, Stefan Okakachaka. Yes. And of course, the belly flop himself, Shevki Kuchi. Hey. who didn't score for Fulham I'd like to yeah, point that out didn't. oh didn't he no yeah. I was also I got in a bit of um, hot water that Luke Cornwall did play for Fulham where quite a lot of people fancied pointing that out he to came me. through the youth network so you know it's obviously improving <laughs> <laughs> well there we go they are the results of our forgotten Fulham team we'll post them online uh, later this week fulhamish.co.uk uh, Secretary Jack what is the title of today's show please um, I think we'll have to go for Cock and Bulldog. I think that's Cock probably and what we'll go for today. Episode episode 10. 10. Cock and Bulldog. Exactly. Yeah, we've made double figures, lads. And we're cre- creeping up on 10,000 uh, listens as well, so thanks to all you guys out there. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, last week's podcast was the most listened ever and also the quickest listened to ever. Um, so, yeah, we're really uh, appreciating you guys uh, sharing it and listening every week and subscribing. Uh, it's all really starting to take off, which is uh, wonderful because uh, we love chatting Fulham with you every week. And we will be back next Monday. Are you all available? I haven't checked yet. I'm in. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> Farrell's in as well. Fitting ready. There we go. The, uh, the starting four will be back next week after the Reading game. Let's hope we have three points to celebrate, chaps. See you in seven days. Take it easy. See you then. Bye.